Welcome to The Wrong Kind of Mad. And then we leave a gap for the music that isn't playing, but people can imagine that the music is playing. But you filled the gap, that's the thing, <laughs> by saying we'll leave a gap. What are we doing tonight, Holly? <laughs> what? What are we doing? Are we not doing this? Oh, this is slick, isn't it? This is... <laughs> This is terrible. I'm, I'm embarrassed to be invited along to do this. <laughs> so, yes, welcome to The Wrong Kind of Mad. Um, today, we are um, the usual Kieran and Holly. We're joined by Dan, who was with us yesterday. And we're going to be thinking about the British and Irish Group for the Study of Personality Disorder Conference Day 2, which has just happened today. If anybody's ever thinking about doing this in the future, uh, a podcast after two nights of uh, solid conferencing, it's hard work. It, it feels like a, a big ask of people. So thank you for the people who've turned up. Um, I suppose just briefly before we get Oliver and Julie on, um, Julia on, what, what's it been like for, for us? What did you make of the, the conference very briefly, Dan and I? Yeah, can you pull the, the curtain behind you? Because I think you're blinding people. And probably the other side as well now. <laughs> no, I meant the other curtain. Oh. Um, I found today difficult... Um, it was it was pretty heavy towards the end of the day, and I think we're going to talk a bit about that mm-hmm. later. Is that when we're doing that? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm feeling it a bit. And you and I dashed off to run a group somewhere as well, didn't we? So we uh, we, we missed a little chunk of it. So Dan is going to be our um, person of knowledge for those bits that we missed. What was what was it like for you, Dan? I mean, I, I think the whole conference, it's always its always really interesting. I think it's nice for me to see a lot of perspectives from across the UK. You know, I mean, because I'm, I'm based in Aberdeen and I don't really uh, get to see a lot of other stuff. I think, like like Holly said, you know what I mean? I think I think we're all feeling quite heavy. You know what I mean? There is a big elephant in the room just now. You know what I mean? We're all really, really feeling. Um, th- there's always a, a sense of frustration with these things as well and that like you're hearing a lot of the same things again, 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 you know what I mean? Stigmas and misunderstandings and stuff like that. And there's a bit of like, oh, we're still here. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people talking about it, but the, the shift is not quite happening. Um, so I'm always left feeling that a little bit. But but again, you know what I mean? It's nice to see so much people that are really passionate about their work and with some, uh, some interesting ideas. So, yeah. And I think for me, I think I always leave Big Spud conferences feeling inspired in some way, which which is weird, I think, because a lot of the time we're talking about a marginalised group of people who get awful treatment um, across a variety of services. So, And that's not fun, is it? You know, that's not a jolly topic. And yet there is something about coming together and thinking with like-minded people that means I kind of bounce out of there a little bit more. I'm not bouncing very much at the moment. Like you said, today was a heavy day. Um, and on that sour note, we shall uh, usually invite the presidents of, uh, of Big Spud to come and join us. So, yeah, you there, Oliver and Junior? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's a pleasure. Although I am, like, <clears throat> you 
described um, knackered. I have to say, it's exhausting uh, two days. It, it's it's been quite heavy, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think yesterday we asked you about um, how has day one gone and um, what are you hoping to achieve with day one. So maybe today is like how has day two gone? Did the conference go as you wanted? Have you was it was it as you expected? Was what you hoped for? Um, Julie, oh. you go first. All right. Well. I just think I mean, we do have, you know, we do talk to each other outside of um, formal environments. Um, and I think Ollie made, uh, you know, an interesting conversation uh, point in our conversation, which is that things tend to work themselves out in a, in a good way. And so we know that, you know, often things in this area are very polarised. We know that they're, you know, and there's lots of contention, but somehow things tend to balance themselves out. So I thought, you know, today's conference was uh, extremely emotional in in many uh, different respects. And of course, we could we could think about um, uh, Jane and Ian's uh, presentation about being the point of emotion, but maybe that's where the emotion coalesced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was about hearing very many different voices and the voices of, uh, you know, particularly of carers um, and carers who uh, have had the most horrendous tragedy in their lives um, and who want to make things different for, for others. I mean, I think that's quite an astounding uh, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Possibly worth saying that I think the the large majority of people in this room weren't at the conference. So when we're kind of like making reference to stuff, it's probably mm. worth spelling it out a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, the um, the presentation by Ian and uh, Jane Cannon was a description of their experience of looking after um, their twin daughters who um, not far, um, well, they ended their lives and not far from the, that point, they were given a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And, um, and the account was pretty harrowing, um, to be honest. Mm. Um, and, and I thought that they provided something in such a generous way, which was, um, I don't know, sort of cut through all the, a lot of the sort of more academic arguments uh, that we, we might have. And, um, and, I mean, I was interested with Dan saying at the beginning that um, there's sort of a frustration that some things don't change, like stigma. And I think that's right. It is frustrating. Um, and um, I suppose uh, what we got to hear in a very personal way is um, the end result of that. Um, I mean, what what amazed me, I mean, you asked here also, what did we expect? And I never, I mean, it's, it's only the second conference that Julia and I have put on. And, and frankly, I don't know what to expect. Um, and, um, um, but it, it, it did seem to work somehow today, um, even if it was extremely taxing of uh, the speakers and the delegates. Um, uh, I think everyone's probably knackered. I think we have a, you know, maybe misguided uh, belief in the group 
in whatever the group is, that it will mm. sort itself out somehow. And I think that is with conference as well. Mm. Yeah. And you say that, but I, I'm guessing there's an element of curation. Like you don't put the presentations in a box and shuffle them about. And yeah, them. so yeah, I, I'm guessing <laughs> there was something that you were hoping for. Or I mean, I really wanted Peter to come and speak. Um, and um, I mean, so all the plenaries of said very target. They're targeted, um, and the but the. The, um, the, the smaller presentations are for people that are applying through an abstract submission process. Um, and it's quite an unusual conference in that way, actually. Uh, most conferences, um, uh, the vast majority of our invited speakers. Um, so there's a sort of sense of trust in the group, actually, um, implicit in that. Um, but then obviously, you know, you, you do try to put people together so there's a theme emerging and so on. Um, and um, yeah, because you come as a pair, I was wondering if Julia's going to jump in and, uh, and add something on the end. But, uh... Well, only something very boring, which is that, and I don't know whether we said this yesterday, but um, of course, this is uh, a conference that, that is also about attending to the people who didn't speak at the conference that was meant to be had. Uh, last year so I think it was you know we have to think about um, you know the people who wanted to speak and whether whether they felt that their speeches were still or their presentations were still relevant and and where they got to in their their research and all of that so I you know I think there was competing uh, things going on in this mm -hmm. conference yeah but but I think Ollie's right you know the plenary speakers we pick them because of the differences in their ha the way that they're coming at this and they need to be as different as possible i think mm -hmm. to really um you know inspire some debate so you know paul mccrone talking about you know the health economics um uh you know and then viral you know he's come from NHS England, he's now doing some work within um, ELFT and thinking about, you know, meeting a service where the service is at. And I think that's quite interesting. To me, that that was one of the themes of this conference, whether it's meeting service users where they're at um, or whether it's meeting organisations where they're at. And it's, it, you know, it's kind of thinking about that rather than stomping in and doing something that would feel like you're doing something to uh, a, a service or you're doing something to um, a, a, you know, a service user. I think that felt like a very strong theme for me today, particularly. Mm. I don't know if my co-presenters are being extra polite, and, but, <laughs> but it, it's, it's meaning that I'm doing all of the, the asking and I, I don't oh, make sure I don't dominate it. <laughs> I'm happy to uh, jump in here. I, I still feel invited on and I'm still being quite polite, even though you've uh, said I'm a co-host. I still feel like a guest. Um, I, I guess for me, uh, Oliver and Julie, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of interested in uh, the big spot, I guess, in terms of what's next for you guys. You know, I mean, I know you're, you're kind of talking about stuff behind the scenes and, and also probably a slightly more controversial question for you was 
obviously Peter Kinderman had mentioned, you know, I mean, challenging personality disorder diagnosis and actually thinking about even the, the name of uh, Big Spud, given that we do have that kind of broad church of perspectives and, and taking mm. that into account. And and I get that. I mean, I'm sort of part of the, the Scottish personality disorder network, and it's something that's kind of in my head as well as something that we might have to address in the future. So I'm uh, I'm cheekily looking to see what you guys are going to say about it first. I'm just, so I guess, well, what are you going to do next? And then uh, Peter's comment. Do you want me to start? And then, um, so we've we've been um, having quite a few conversations uh, as an executive, and um, um, about the name of Big Spud. And um, so, in my opening address, I quoted uh, Yeats, uh, who said about um, the, uh, the worst of those are the passionate, and the best are those who lack all conviction. Um, the other, the other one I like to trot out, which I, I'm, I'm too knackered to get the words the right way around, is a serenity prayer about knowing what you can change and what you can't, and having the wisdom to know the difference. Um, we can change our name quite in a relatively straightforward manner if we cho- choose to do so. Uh, we can't change the world, but we can. We are in charge of Big Spud. And we have an executive and we have something to do that. So we want to really properly run some sort of process which explores our name. Because as we said um, today, we really want to have a broad church because we want to move that broad church. Um, We don't want to be outsiders criticizing. Uh, Both Julie and I work in mainstream mental health services. I work in a community mental health team in, a, in an urban area, which, uh, frankly, um, has all sorts of challenges. Um, so I want something that's grounded in, in that sort of reality. Um, so I'm very interested in, in the, the, an idea that so Julia stumbled across a podcast by Douglas Alexander, um, who described um, some processes in Northern Ireland around how they worked with communities who had very polarized views around gay marriage and abortion and the like. And they ran something called, and I always get this wrong, I think it's called a citizen's assembly. I think that's the right term for it. Is that right, Julia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we want to, write a, we want to run a citizen's assembly. This is a, maybe a bit of a pipe dream, but that's what we want to do. And it will be outside of the conference. And we will, um, because even today, there are some critical voices that would not come because of the name, the name Big Spud. And if we really are to gen, genuinely have a proper conversation about this, then we need to um, find a way of hearing those voices. And we need to hear them in a way that is uh, thoughtful and respectful. Um, because there is, a, there is a, a way in which some voices are very clearly heard and other voices are not. Um, so the fact of the matter is, is that there are lots of patients who do find the label helpful. Um, and that's not because they're misguided, um, as some people have said previously. It's because they just find it helpful. And we need to create a respectful environment which is kind and thoughtful and contained. And whilst I think uh, our conference today and yesterday was extremely challenging, um, I think it was very kind and thoughtful. I think people were very respectful. Um, and um, so we want to do something similar, but focus very clearly on the name. Um, so, so yeah, um, Julia, I don't know 
what else to say about that? Well, I, th- I mean, we've been thinking about this since it's, it's probably about, you know, a year or more since I listened to that podcast. Mm. And how could we do this? And of course, but it was pre-pandemic. And so I think, you know, many of things used to be about for me was about how do we get people together and how how, how do we uh you know what what are the sorry the dogs sniffing stuff um you know what, what are the real um uh all those kind of real world how do we get people together how do we conduct this um citizens assembly and it'll take us a bit because to to to, to organize this so it's not it might not be next year but I, I suppose for me, I have felt for a while, I used to feel anyway, that um, the discussions around the label were, were a bit of noise, really, because what I wanted was better services for people. And then I realised that in actual fact, the noise um, is getting in the way of of people accessing services. And, and I think that's, the you know, the work that I am doing which uh, and, and particularly seems to me, and maybe this is a you know from where I'm the work I'm doing and where I'm coming from it, but there are there's a whole cohort of women, particularly um, younger women, younger than me, um, uh, kind of in the twenty to forty year bracket who find the diagnosis of personality disorder so stigmatising that when they're offered services that are badged with that uh, uh, diagnosis, are, they're, they're unwilling to um, access those services. When I know that the, that the interventions and what the, the care that's being offered in those services would, could potentially be extremely helpful. Um, and, and I find that as distressing as my dog does, if you can hear him in the background, crying for a treat. Um, uh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, distressing. But yes, and, and so so I, th- I don't think anymore that it's it's noise. I think it is, it is becoming detrimental to people's treatment mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and help and care. And so that that is why I've really changed my attitude to this and I think we we do need to think about this and of course Big Spider is a very small you know organization but to the extent that we are called Big Spud we do need to attend to it. Mm-hmm. I also I just want to add because I also know um so it's it's really interesting the the evolution of ideas and thoughts and even in, in internally in our own sort of how we come at this. I mean you know we start off I can remember when I first started to, um, to uh, argue for better services, and then I started to get criticised for using this term personality disorder. And I was like, hang on, what's going on here? I can't understand what this problem is. Why am I being criticised? I'm, I'm trying to help. Um, and then grad- I mean, gradually, I've, I've come to realise, and also, I now, um, when I hear people like Peter speak and, um, and other activists, um, um, I get it. Um, I, you know, they've got a really important um, sele- a collection of points around this, both the, the actual particular thing, but also the uh, construct is, is deeply flawed. Now, all constructs are going to be flawed and there's no nirvana here. We're not going to find something um, can pluck off, off um, the, um, 
uh, the, the, the tree, which will, will, will do all the different things that the label personality sort of badly does at the moment. Um, uh, and so, and the other thing to say is that there's such a, a great risk of moral hazard here. We could do enormous harm, actually, if we just say tomorrow, right, we're not going to use the label, that's it, it's gone. Um, and I was saying, saying to Julia in one of our conversations in between the conference that it reminds me a bit like Brexit. Brexit took five years, and I don't know about you, but I think the result is pretty shit. And um, so, and I think this is even more complicated than Brexit. Um, I think this is really difficult to do, and and we need to. Um, I mean, I think we'll change the the name of uh, Big Spot before five years, but um, um, if we do that properly, if we do it in a thoughtful and considered way, then I think we will be able to influence what's outside of Big Spot. Um, in a thoughtful and considered way, and hopefully one which does least harm, because all revolutions actually have unintended consequences and victims. I'm keeping a half a, an eye on the, the uh, conversation that's happening in the in the chat, and um, half an eye, and. Uh, I think I think you know. Of course, you can say that uh, people who find this diagnosis helpful have just internalised a model. You know, the dominant model, the dominant ideology. Um, I, I actually, I, I think what probably what it is is that when people have spoken about I, I can remember when I um, got my diagnosis and uh, I, I ended up with two psychiatrists which is you know always a bad thing um, but one um, who uh, who was also a psychotherapist and uh, the, psych the psychiatrist who wasn't kept saying I'm not going to give you this diagnosis I'm not you just have this you know uh, some sort of depression or whatever but but the other one said, um, look, you know, I think this is what's going on. This is what's happening for you, etc. And I think this is the type of help that you might need. So and he said, and it's called personality disorder. But that was, you know, as an adjunct in a way. And so so I think, of course, it's it, you know, the diagnosis isn't good and but I think it's the way that uh, we can have our difficulties explained and, and the relationship we have with people that I think, um, you know, is the thing that matters mm. in the end. And, uh, and, and so I, I do think that, you know, because I know many people who've, who found being given a diagnosis helpful. Mm. And, but I think it's more about the way that it was, delivered and how it's explained and then the diagnosis put on top um, mm -hmm. that's important the other thing just to say as well is that the diagnosis of personality disorder is not in a vacuum it's in the whole classification system and um, and so the un again the unintended consequence of changing one aspect of it has an impact on all the others um, and the fact of the matter is is there are these entities which we have given these diagnostic categories to, which are, some of them, quite reliable in uh, their application if done properly. 
Um, and they also do tend to predict sorts of interventions and approaches which are different now in an imperfect way. But um, So if you change one, you have an impact on, on all sorts of people's care. Mm -hmm. So it's really just very complicated, isn't it? I think when I've heard people talk about the value of Big Spud taking personality disorder out of its title, I hear some people kind of say, it's only Britain that's got a problem with this. We would lose respect around the world. We would become like a pariah organization. But I also wonder if it could influence other people to say, look, even an organization like us recognizes that this is problematic. And, and I suppose I, it's, it, for both of you, like, would you see it as something influential? Do you want to influence other people? Or is it just an important thing to do? It depends how we do it. And so um, someone was talking to me the other day about, I think it's got epistemic, an epistemic standpoint. So, and there's a sort of an idea at the moment that there's a zeitgeist of um, the world is defined by how I personally see it. Um, and um, that's sort of quite anti-science in a way. Um, and that's a sort of, there's a sort of a, a tide we're having to fight against. That. So for me, the real issue is, can we do it in a scientific and academic uh, means? And if we can do that, then uh, we will do a good job here. And um, if there is any influence that comes out of that, it will only be because we've done a good job here. Um, so I'm much, in a way, I'm much more interested in the process than, than where we end up. Okay. Uh, and, and with that, should we let you go? I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. Uh, podcast? Oh, I enjoyed the podcast. I enjoyed the conference as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I thought it, it was definitely the most vibrant online event that I have been to. And I think the multiple ways of communicating really helped with that. Yeah. Uh, anything it's, else you want to? I mean, just because we had, you know, really good speakers and a really good team and, a, and the delegates just really got involved, didn't they? It was... Um, and that's what makes it um, vital and exhausting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you. Yeah, thank feel you free to on. hang out. Um, but otherwise, go get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Akia, Holly, Dan. Bye. Cheers, guys. Take care. Cheers, all. <laughs> all right, then. So, and I suppose this is where me holly and dan talk a bit about our experience at the conference and i suppose i might kind of look to you first holly what what's what's it been like for you then what what really stood out at you maybe today or the past the past two days you might be on mute can you hear me now uh -huh. um I feel like I've got whiplash um, from kind of talking about, you know, people um, and their distress being criminalised yesterday to we should be diagnosing people um, much earlier in the hope for this utopia that doesn't exist today. Um, and that's been really, really difficult um, 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I I spent a large portion of kind of the the later end of this afternoon crying because um, it was it was really really difficult to hear. Um, I mean, what I think what's difficult for me is, you know, how do you how do you challenge um, two people that are quite obviously grieving and what has happened to them is absolutely tragic. However, um, I'm really tired of uh, being treated like shit because I have a particular diagnosis. I am really tired and exhausted and traumatized by seeing my peers, friends and colleagues die as a direct result of this label. Um, and in the work that I do with people that have this label, I am unable to protect them, get them the, the treatment and the services that they need because of that label. But we should diagnose people earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, it it was so painful and, and insulting to hear. Um, for me, I, it's really difficult to be, you know, repeatedly silenced by um professionals and be pathologized for the things that we do or say um but then have two people that have definitely suffered but have a level of privilege in not having a diagnosis um and having a platform where they will be heard but people with the diagnosis aren't um and despite, you know, decades of a very clearly, doc clearly documented um, discrimination and harm, to say that we should be diagnosing people earlier is, is baffling to me. Um, and another thing that I found quite difficult to hear was um, Jane and Ian kind of calling themselves experts by experience. Now, while they are definitely experts in whatever it is that they are experiencing within you know the things that they have suffered through grief they aren't they aren't experts in in having this diagnosis or knowing about this diagnosis um and that that feels like a real co-option of work that people with with actual lived experience of this diagnosis have had to fight for for years and at times have died for um and what feels kind of perverse to me is that the people that we have frequently been harmed and failed by our carers now have a voice that we don't and that that that, that reenacts a lot mm -hmm. um yeah. And, you know, no, no ill will to Jane and Ian at all. I completely understand um, why they would want to so desperately do something. Um, 
but the utopia that they hope for doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And they're kind of signing death warrants. It, it was a marked contrast, wasn't it? Because I think the majority of the conference, you'd have heard people say, people with this diagnosis are forced into sex work and pathologised. People with this diagnosis are criminalised for their suicidality. People with this diagnosis do not get allowed into services. They become hopeless and given up on. And then... Again, that kind of contrast. If only these people had had this label, then they would have got the help. And but the, I, I came into services and was diagnosed with schizophrenia and then got various other diagnoses. And I was treated very, very differently when I had those other labels. I wasn't denied treatment. I was treated with compassion because I was seen as ill. You know, there was... There was obviously a difficulty that I had that could be treated. And then when that changed, people's attitudes towards me changed completely. And that is a very, very common experience. And these are really important points to make, isn't it? And it, it's hard to make them to a grieving family, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah. like you said, they will get a lot of opportunity to... Encourage, well, you know, the coroner in their daughter's case is saying people should be diagnosed earlier. You know, that, that's a level of influence there. And I think they're up to hearing different arguments and voices. But, you know, what, what, what they are saying at the moment, like, so I, I don't know where that sudden compassion and help will come from because it doesn't happen to the people that I see diagnosed no. As an example, you and I were in a group today with four people who've lived through hell and they've all been told their personalities are disordered and they're getting very little help, isn't it? Um, yeah, really hard to listen to that today and also the emotion behind it as well. It, it's such an awful and tragic story. Um, come in, Dan. <laughs> I'm really feeling it as well. You know, I mean, uh, not only from the conference, but obviously hearing Holly speak so kind of articulately about that hard experiences just now as well, which is, and that 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 I think is is a tragedy. You know, I mean, there's that sort of epistemic injustice that we know that people with uh, these diagnoses experience. You know, what I mean, by feeling disenfranchised and feeling like they don't have a voice, and then. There is that fear, that, you know what I mean, because these people have experienced, you know what I mean, absolutely horrendous tragedy that somehow their their words count for, for more. Um, and while, you know I mean, I, I think it's absolutely coming from the right place and I think we would all, you know I mean, want to prevent things like that happening again, you know what I mean? We want to try and prevent suicide, we want to try and keep people alive, but I'm just not convinced that, diagnosing people with personality disorders is is the way to do it i mean i think my my particular views around diagnosis and I'd probably borrow from uh, lucy johnston in a way in power threat meaning framework is a bit like it's often the, the only ticket in town you know what i mean to get some kind of care um so often people um if they do have good experiences of the the diagnosis i know it varies for everyone but Often it's about hearing that 
somebody has some kind of idea of what's going on for you and now you have this ticket and now you can go and now you can get that treatment. Um, but we know that often, like you say, there, there's not that utopia. You know, I mean, I, I heard a story, um, I won't name where it was from, but about a, a person diagnosed with a personality disorder presented to an accident emergency. And essentially the whole staff team were told, um, don't speak to her because she'll manipulate you. So this person was sat with in incredible distress, had tried to kill herself and literally everyone was around her, you know, I mean, with her uh, doing constant observations and not not engaging with her whatsoever. Um, and that's, I guess that's the, you're assuming that's, that's a side of the story that uh, they've not heard. So... Yeah, kind of some really tough stuff in that, I think, and 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 again, really hard to to think about and process. And and it's 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 jarring to kind of say, and what else did you think about the day? Do you know, as if you could kind of park that real um, kind of bombshell that was there in the middle of it. Um, but I suppose also kind of wanting to think about because we thought about a lot of traumatic stuff. Um, over the past couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, couple of days, um, and I, 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 I'm just thinking, is this a good time to start talking to to Anne? Um, because that, you know, the, the kind of trauma of kind of her events around people was was so much a part of her talk. Um, I'm conscious that one of our other guests has got to go, which I'm really sad about. Um, but yeah, Anne, are you are you all right to? Can I come in and join us? Yeah, certainly. Gosh, um, if I can get there. So we see ourselves as the warm down people to really bring the okay. atmosphere down um, just <laughs> as you come on to talk. Um, mm. I don't know if you heard me kind of say earlier on, but a lot of the people who are in the room now haven't been a part of the conference. So I yeah. wonder if you could give people a, a bit of an overview of what you talked about. Okay. Um yeah, I can read from the chat um, that um, that people weren't at the conference, and and also I, I think um, there's a thread um, of people feeling silenced um, in general, and I'm wondering what I can do <laughs> to um, in response. Really, I, I don't want to just perpetuate it. Um, but I'm not sure that I can do much more than just answer your question, really, and hope it has some uh, meaning. Um, so um, I um, was really, well, I was asked, I was invited uh, to say something at this conference about race and in inverted commas, personality disorder. Um, and, and I felt that the the thread that runs through them really, you know, that pulls them both together is that they're both artificial constructs. Um, not only are they artificial constructs, but they're constructs that um, really um, reflect tremendous trauma uh, done to people. I could also say uh, that they're, um, they're constructs that have been used for the val for the for the not for the not for the purpose of the people so labelled, uh, but for some other reason. Um, 
Um, and I, I, I've been um, working in mental health for a very long time, so I've seen quite the arc in a way um, where um, services for people with a diagnosis of personality disorder is concerned um, from um, absolute, I, I think, inhumanity uh, to a point where it, it seems to me having this long arc um, that things are shifting in the right direction. Not We're not there by a long stretch, but I see things that 30 years ago or more I, I would be very, very difficult to have imagined. Mm. Um, Co-production, for example, trauma-informed pathways uh, and things like that, even if they're aspirational. Um, so, uh, but one of the things that's, uh, that hasn't changed uh, has been the absence, practically, of black people um, with that diagnosis. Now, not that I wish it upon anybody, um, but the uh, but it suggests, and, and the research, such as it is, uh, that's available, suggests that there are people uh, with um, the, the the pain and the suffering that goes with this unfortunate term that are not receiving treatment um, and also um, are criminalised in huge uh, uh, proportions which fits with the narrative of racism anyway. So I felt that one of the um, components that's missing uh, in the trauma uh, paradigm, if you like, is racial trauma um, so it's something that in this country isn't very well developed anyway um, uh, as opposed to in uh, America where it's somewhat more developed and more of an accepted term and construct for anybody um, of colour who has lived uh, in a um, white dominated country will experience racial trauma to some degree or another. Um, so uh, the idea is that somebody, um, let's say somebody of colour uh, with a, a, a lot of racialized trauma, uh, probably with other types of trauma too, uh, will not have that recognised. Their behaviour uh, will not be recognised as a reaction to um, the experience that if they've had because of their race, that's the point. Um, and that an understanding of that, in my opinion, uh, would do well to be more in the mainstream. So that was my main uh, point. And also um, what goes hand in hand with that um, is um, the experience of staff on the front line of services who are black and who uh, receive levels of racial trauma day in day out that are um, you know can be nothing but damaging and which don't haven't been conceptualized anywhere as far as I can see uh, and I felt that that needed to be flagged up too so that was pretty much the gist for me it was a really powerful presentation um and definitely got me thinking about things that i think i probably actively didn't think about in in the past i think um i think a lot of the time in this work staff think of themselves as good people so it's really hard for us to think about how we might be doing something harmful 
And equally, I think staff like to think, oh, there's nothing racist about me whatsoever. And I, I just think that where I've grown up in an entirely Welsh village, um, in the culture I have grown up, that, that has an effect. And I don't know what effect it has, but I can hear that there is work to do. And that work is going to be so unappetizing for people and essential. Um, I was thinking that we've been talking about just before you came on, you know, people who were saying, oh, we we noticed this label wasn't given and it seemed really important that it was. And just noticing in your talk, like you're saying, you know, black, brown people, they're not given a BPD diagnosis. But also it sounds like you're saying, but we actually don't want that. Um, we want help and we're not getting helped. Yeah. I, th- I felt that when somebody earlier said that something about... Um, uh, the suggestion that this is a harmful diagnosis, but one way that we could help people is to diagnose them earlier. Um, I, I kind of thought that that sounds like gaslighting to me. Put that way, that sounds like gaslighting to me. And there is something kind of gaslighting about the whole uh, um, sort of arena, I think. And um, and it's so so it kind of doesn't make sense in a way to say, well, why aren't people being diagnosed? But I wouldn't want people to not that I, 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 I'm an advocate for people having the label as such because it's problematic. So in a way, my point is really just about people not getting help, really, and, and almost like to think about getting help. You've got to then navigate and negotiate this minefield um, that involves the diagnosis and the risks. Uh, associated with having it um, and and as we all know I'm sure uh, in your professional uh, group you're well aware that people uh, come through their uh, registered training without any um, you know input or education uh, around this really important uh, issue uh, which to me is about trauma uh, simply um, you know and in nursing, the, uh, the, the norm has been that people, that you have to train people once they finish their training, you know. Uh, they're not the meantime, just fixed and ready to go. No, no. And, and where training has been delivered, because I've been invited sometimes to, you know, do a session with people who, you know, at the end of three years training, and they're trotting out um, the same old, you know, um, reactions to uh, people who have the diagnosis that they think people are manipulative, they think people attention seek, uh, and um, and they think that it's um, you know I, I'm not going to say I've actually heard the word dangerous, but um, but risky, let's say, to engage relationally. Mm. I mean, this is the um, so. The default position, without um, enough input, enough investment in practitioners, is that they produce an invalidating environment. That's exactly, that's the first port of call for people, is to, to recreate the very problems that created the difficulties and the suffering in the first place. So, you know, anyway, I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, for all sorts of different reasons, but um, uh, but yeah, the gaslighting sort of um, phenomena within this field is striking to me. 
Yeah, I wonder if I can just chip in a little bit there, just because I'm I'm a I'm a lecturer in in mental yeah. health nursing, and I I kind of share that frustration about the the limits of of what we're able to give people. You know, what I mean, before they they mm. qualify as uh, as registered nurses, and um, I think for me that the the large kind of that the NMC mentioned this are a large number of placement hours, and for me that's focusing on kind of quantity rather than a kind of quality of, of placement mm. and. I do think the NMC have kind of have missed a lot actually in terms of what they should be kind of prioritising. Mm. I think mm. for me, it often seems very task-based stuff. And I do think mm. certainly uh, mental health nursing, I wonder where we fit in that. You know I mean? I think we're quite squashed yeah. by, by a lot of that. And I was certainly saying yesterday that I think that like no matter what we teach in university, mm-hmm. it be kind of squashed out of people on their placements a little bit. And that's, mm. that's been my experience. And I think like yeah. it's frustrating for me. And I, I think uh, my experience as a mental health nurse was that I actually did a lot of learning on the other side. You know what I mean? But <laughs> you want to hit the ground yeah. running, but instead you hit the ward terrified and then you do some learning around that. So, yeah. 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 I think there's some of our experience as well in, you know, I've, when I'm working with people, I'm predominantly working with young white female people. Um, and I think where I have worked with more of a diversity in mental health services, it, it's very different labels that are applied to people. Um, and I'm conscious, Holly, that you had you know, some quite profound experiences of, of working um, in AOT and people being different. And do you, do you want to talk about that a bit? Um, okay. Um, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with it, to be honest, because since, since your talk yesterday, Anne, um, I think all of the things that I've kind of squashed down over the past four years have really started trickling out um and it it's it's been difficult um so I was very aware of um how people um particularly black males were treated very very differently um and were punished and were neglected um, and were seen as violent and dangerous and aggressive, um, despite the behaviour that they were presenting with being almost identical to white people. Um, and part of uh, your wish list was kind of wanting um, the impact of, of frontline staff. Um, the the impact of, of racial trauma on frontline staff would be acknowledged nationally, and I don't even think it's acknowledged within teams. I have seen mm-hmm. a black member of staff be assaulted mm-hmm. by a white patient, mm-hmm. and it was passed off as, "Well, it's just part of the job. You'll get a you're you're all right, aren't you? Exactly. You're fine." Exactly. Yeah. A white yeah. member of staff mm-hmm. was spat at. Mm-hmm by a black patient mm. and that was assault that that needed the police oh dear oh gosh yeah yeah well that's horrifying isn't it horrifying mm. and i don't i don't know how how we can get it to be recognized nationally when 
the teams and organisations are complicit in it? Mm. I think, um, and um, I'm, I'm responding also to um, a comment, I think, by Sinead, um, uh, which is about um, whether I debated whether to speak at this conference or not. Um, and I, I mean, it's a long time since I was invited to tell you the truth, because, of course, it was put back a year. But um, my, um, I suppose, position is to, to try and push. So I, I wouldn't have debated. I, I would have thought here's an opportunity to get something out there. Um, and the service that I work in as well also pushes um, the, the sort of um, limits, if you like, of um, the mainstream um, but one of the ways that I um, push is by speaking uh, at events. And the second way, uh, which you might, and it's not for everybody, but I, I noticed there were questions about how to get a voice, but also is to write. Uh, and sometimes the only way to empower yourself really and to, um, you know, um, express your resistance, if you like, is to put something in print and get it out there because um, uh, people will read it and, and people will take notice of it in my experience um, but yes it's, it's horrifying and it, it reminds me of the, the hierarchy where you know a nurse could get assaulted and um, you know the, the service user might uh, have some sanction they might you know some restrictive practice uh, but a doctor and they'd be transferred out um to somewhere else you know so these hierarchies are and they're almost like castes aren't they uh caste systems uh, that exist within uh, institutions really um, yeah thank you is there something you can't sum this up with something really trite but you know as as individual staff, as people working in teams, what, what's, what's the basics that people can do to be better, do you think? How do we fix it, Anne? Oh, well, there you go, if I knew that. Uh, I, can, I can only tell you what I've seen and, and witnessed. Um, so I, th I, th I think there are some ingredients. One is training, you know, um, and um, that needs to be co-produced. You know, I don't think that's an easy task to ask people with lived experience to get involved in training, but for some people it's very empowering uh, and, it, uh, and, and it's an opportunity again to, to have one say. Um, I, think, I think KUF is a decent product in that respect you know we've got an opportunity to make it better but I think training is important there is something that I've seen as a as a trainer uh, I get you know so many times now you think wow uh, you know where you see the members of staff turn around when they shift from their belief system that the that you know that, that this is somebody who's trying to hurt them to oh my goodness me this is this is what's happening here this is a say a communication this is an expression of distress it's just not a, an expression that I am familiar with but what but now you mention it now you explain it like this of course I see what's happening so um, so there's definitely something about training there's something about ongoing 
support and supervision. There's something about um, that being informed by, um, you know, un unconscious processes, preferably around attachment and trauma, I feel. Um, uh, but something about leadership, I think the people in leadership roles uh, need to be very psychologically informed. Uh, unfortunately, we have these professional structures where often people want to shoot up the ladder as quickly as they can and, and don't invest in this kind of uh, development, you know. Um, so there are some of the, the very basics, really. Um, I also think, but that's within the system as it exists. I, I think probably the whole system needs to be root and branch, uh, you know, uh, changed, really. Because because there's something about within all of this, there's something also uh, about being as alongside as you possibly possibly can, um, because the uh, uh, the predominant way of being where the professional sort of on top uh, and knows better is just just perilous really uh, for people whose need are not for that. Mm. They're not for that, you know. Is that, is that does that offer something anyway? I think so, and I think you know. I think when you're grasping at God, what can I do? I think that's um, yeah. it's something palpable to hold on to. Definitely. Yeah, so thank you for that. I, th I think I'm going to say something else though as well, and I, I think also what's crucial but doesn't happen enough by any stretch is that people who take up clinical roles really need to know where their own vulnerabilities are you know we need to know uh where we're vulnerable we need to understand our own traumas and how they express well how how they brought us that work because i um you know feel that health and social care is really full of wounded healers isn't it mm. uh, that if we took them out there would be nobody there mm. so um this that, that that's um need and, and what's historically happened where all the vulnerability and the illness if you like the disorder whatever you want to call it has been put in service users as if the the, the staff um are uh, are not also uh, yeah. you know struggling in different ways so that yeah. needs to be addressed sorry if i've gone on too long no, not at all. It's, it's like we are the really healthy and sane ones, and the only reason our team is struggling is because of that traumatized sixteen-year-old girl over there psychically exactly, ripping us apart. Yeah, you exactly. Know, yeah. We we imbue people with these powers. Um, God forbid it might be anything about yeah. us, the staff team. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know if my, any of my colleagues have got anything else to throw at you. I, I I was just shaking my head there, just, just because it, like I, I've had the experience. You know, what I mean, seeing staff nurses talk about clinical supervision as something like, "What? Well, I'm not going to talk about my thoughts and feelings." You know, what I mean, there, there's a bit of that. We we ask the patients that we're working with incredibly difficult questions about their lives and their their kind mm. of mental states, mm. and mm. we're not willing to kind of do that work ourselves. And I, I mm. absolutely exactly. agree with that that point well, you made. And I think there's there's so many people out there that lack basic self awareness because they've not done a little bit of work on themselves. And I think it's incredibly important that we do that because we take ourselves into every single single interaction mm. that we have with mm. the people. And I I think it's a I think it's a travesty, you know. I mean, mm. as a mental health nurse in particular, that 
it's mm. not mandatory and it's not universal that we have supervision. I just I can't get my head around it, and it's almost like that. That's that's one of the frustrations at being at Big Spud was that you know I mean you're hearing this basic thing right of like can we all just find a space where we can think about our work where we can take a step back and we can try and mentalize try and think about what's going on for us but then think about what's going on for the people that we're working with and think about that kind of complicated relationship in between and like no either we don't have time for that or why would I need to do that I'm already uh, mm. perfect I've I've got my degree you know I mean I clearly know everything I need to know it's like I just find it really sad um, and incredibly frustrating mm. all right well um thank you so much for joining us we were delighted when you said that you would uh, come along I really hope that you'll come and do a full podcast with us as well um because there's loads more you never there. know you and, never know uh, <laughs> I don't know if you're in a cupboard but it looks like it it looks like it I don't know why it's so dark I've got a light here but it's not really I hope I you manage to escape from like the like box a, that I you're in like um like I'm going to tell you fortune or something <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you again. Thank you, So another kind of like really powerful um, presentation from the day before, but I think brought it in here um, with us again. Um, and I think, you know, in theory, we should now be kind of like moving on to talking about relational working and how... Maybe we do a bit less of doing to people and just work on having effective relationships with people. But um, yeah, we, we've lost the people who are going to talk about that. So we've, got, we've either got a bit of space to fill or we will um, speed off early. Um, perhaps the things that I, I was quite interested in as well is the things that are kind of coming up in the chat, which are kind of like saying, you know, how do people get a voice? How do people get to be able to say things a bit more and get heard? Um, and again, again, Holly, I just think as somebody who's been to a few Big Spud conferences now, you know, how, how, how do you get into this? How, how is it possible? What should people be doing? Um. I don't know. I think it's the, the look of the draw sometimes. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the process is. Um, is. Is it just that people invite you? No, you submit an abstract about whatever it is that you want to talk about and then that gets deliberated, I guess, um, within the exec. Um, and then people decide. So... I guess it's the exec that holds your fate. Um, but yeah, you're not you're not just kind of approached and asked to to talk unless you're very important and one of the, the plenary speakers. <laughs> and then I suppose just thinking that you've had something published really recently. Um, and you know, somebody who's able to kind of put stuff out there. Um, yeah, how, how did that come about then? Just thinking about how people can get those ideas out there oh, in the I way that you have. <laughs> well, you you recently had a very good article published in mental health practice. <laughs> oh right, um, uh, that I was approached for. Um, yeah, so I I didn't really have to do anything. Someone someone asked me. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. That okay. Was, that was the end of that. <laughs> and where you've done commentaries for mental health textbooks, is that, again, people coming to you? Is that you volunteering to do it? Uh that that was also someone asking me yeah <laughs> okay so do something that gives you a bit of a reputation that people start to approach you is that part of that then is that... I don't I, I don't know I mean I don't think I have any particular reputation other than irritating people um mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know okay but I, I I appreciate that. I think for for some people, um, there there are particular people that get kind of asked to do things, um, or might be more visible than others. Um, and I think I think that is a problem. I think we should, you know, if 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 Big Spud are an organisation that are claiming to be be a broad church, then the church needs to be a bit broader to encompass those those voices that aren't heard Mm. um but then also i think the conference needs to be a safer place for people um where their voices can take up some space um because i think for some people you know particularly the kind of the really dogmatic um pro diagnosis uh people say people it's probably only one um that makes it very difficult for people um to attend um yeah i wonder if there is something as well that there's a sense that that dogmatic um diagnosis of the way forward is is dominant in the big spud culture um I, i definitely think there is um there's an assumption that it is. Um, and that's, you know, that's certainly not my experience. Um, you know, over the, the past two days, it has predominantly been about the label shit, people are harmed, uh, stigma is rife, what are we doing to stop this? The, the services are shit. Um, and I think there's there's a real acknowledgement of how terrible things are for people that, that end up with this label. Um, but I think when you have people that hold positions of power um, and are very shouty and derogatory and pejorative towards people with this diagnosis, I think that really fucking puts people off. As opposed to me who likes getting shouted at and put down, you know, who does like that? You know, it, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, okay. So I'm conscious that, um, you know, people can stick some stuff in the chat. I, I, there's a couple of things that caught my eye in the chat, but I've not seen any of it. Not seen any of it. Not been able to see it in detail. So if you've got something you'd like the three of us to address, whack it in there now. Um and maybe just like, you know, anything else from today or the conference in general that jumped out for us? I was just thinking about, um, I think it was in Viral's uh, talk, and I think I heard it somewhere else, but talking about kind of create, creative approaches when we're working with people and actually talking about the limitations of uh, an evidence base, which I think is, is really quite important because 
the evidence base itself is limited. So imagine you're saying, right, okay, we've done this study, DBT works for BPD or MBT works for BPD, but then you've got BPD is such a kind of heterogeneous, loose diagnosis that can apply to almost anyone. So how useful is that bit of evidence? You know, I mean, but I, but I think I think that focus on that evidence, I think, honestly, I think it gets in the way of people's own genuine creativity. I think people would have much more enthusiasm and much more original ideas if there wasn't this kind of, I guess, that sort of dogmatic approach to evidence-based. It must be evidence-based. And it, like, I get that. Like, I think it's, I'm not kind of being on your podcast and um, kind of um, be shooting myself in the foot by being a very clever lecturer that's saying like, ignore the evidence base but look think beyond the evidence base because i guess you know i mean the first time you're doing a therapy it's not evidence-based you know what i mean you kind of create something you try it and then you try and evidence evidence it on top of that and i think to be truly evidence uh truly person-centered we need to be looking at the evidence base but then always trying to go beyond it and going beyond it is often led by the people that you're working with, you know, I mean, what is working for them? What's not working for them? And like genuine collaboration. You know, I mean, I think the only way to get that creativity and, and get that to work is to really sort of let go of that, that expert role. And I mean, I'm seeing some of that in, in the, the chat there as well. You know I mean? How, how much do these kind of titles and, and roles really help us connect with people? I, I don't think they do. I think there's, I think it's important that, you know what I mean, we're accountable and we're regulated and we've got to do some training to work with people. I think absolutely. But then I, I think a, an emphasis on that kind of, it can create a distance in between human beings. And th there's a part of me that always just wants to, like, just forget everything. When you're in a room with someone, just forget everything that's around it. You know what I mean? Forget it's a hospital. Forget that you've got a kind of a title and they've got maybe you can be in the helper role and they're in the being helped role. But other than that, I, I really think we need to forget that. And I don't think people are comfortable doing that because we're often, a lot of us are very ego-driven uh, animals, you know what I mean? And we enjoy our titles and our badges and our uniforms. Um, but yeah, I think the the human to human stuff is, is what has worked. And I mean, I'm an MBT practitioner, but I, I think even, even MBT, that I, I find quite a, a useful and flexible therapy, but I think even I've kind of let go a, a bit of it in terms of like I, I must not stick to the the MBT. You know what I mean? I'm, I must not diverge from MBT. If I think it's more useful to I'm just going to actually share a bit of myself here. You know, what I mean, if I think that's more useful, then that's what I'll do. So it was a bit of a ramble there, but um, yeah, creativity was the where I was going with it. But it gets me thinking of working with students sometimes and the students say, um, I think I need to be a bit more professional. I need to develop a bit more of a professional persona. And what they seem to be saying is I, I need to lose all of my genuineness and the stuff that makes me me and be this other person in work. And I was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's really frustrating. I mean, it was, it's part of the reason that it's a shameless plug, but you know I mean? I, I wrote a paper on, uh, self-disclosure um, last last year or year before it was because I taught students a session on on self-disclosure so just therapeutic use of self and and they were terrified of it they were all terrified of it because that's the, the kind of message that they've been given in placements was that to be professional you don't share anything about yourself but I mean this I always kind of check in the folk when I finish working with them and, and always ask like what, what was the most useful thing and 
there's no one saying like this was the finest MBT in the land. You know, what I mean, they're always saying like I felt you were human. You know, what I mean, I felt that like enjoyed you sharing a bit of yourself. It's all that basic stuff. I mean, we've probably ended up talking about relational practice anyway because that's that's what it is. It's that kind of human human stuff. Um, and yeah, I think labels, egos, expert roles, it all all gets in the way sometimes. And it makes me think of like people kind of um, telling you some part of their life that sounds like a Stephen King novel and to just sit there kind of going, oh yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't fit, does it? It's like, oh my God, that's... That, that sounds like it was an appalling experience. And yeah, if we lose that connection and humanity, I think we might as well get replaced by apps and robots, um, which I'm sure somebody wants to do. But yeah. Okay. Um, all right, then. Well, no, maybe, maybe that's it. If, uh, if nobody else wants anything else from us. Um, one of the things that came up in the chat was about yesterday's podcast and about how I might have shut Sheena down, um, when she was talking. And I think I probably did. I think I was, um, quite worried about the time pressure and got it wrong. Um, really clumsy. Um, so yeah, if you, if you listen to yesterday's podcast, you can hear that. Um, yeah, that's it. So there's a bit of that. Um, and yeah, well, anything else we want to throw in before we wrap up? Anything one people want to put in the chat before we wrap up? I mean, it's probably worth acknowledging that this is potentially the most depressing podcast we've ever done, um, which, which feels special. <laughs> there's a heavy feel to it, isn't there? Um, and I think often we try and do make it lighthearted, isn't it? And I think part of the reason we got Dan in here is he's a lighthearted fella, you know. Um, but sometimes the material doesn't let it happen. Um, but I think a, a lot of the time we, we try and be lighthearted because of the, how fucking traumatising this is and the work that we do mm. um, and, and having a diagnosis and the things that we see in here. Um, but sometimes that visceral um experience just kind of overtakes everything and it, you can't be light-hearted anymore mm. and i guess that kind of goes back to what we were just saying about being being human and being genuine yeah it's incongruent isn't it you know what i mean it wouldn't be we wouldn't be being true to ourselves if we we're all kind of super chipper you know what i mean and uh, it's not, it's not just me that's brought the, the podcast down. I want to kind of be clear about that. It's been the, the subject matter. <laughs> um, um, so on that note, um, I, I think while this is being branded as the most depressing podcast so far, I'm, I'm trying to think who we've got coming up and, and <laughs> the extent to which that might change. Um so uh, we, we've got some exciting people coming up uh, over the next couple of weeks. So there's, there's some stuff to look forward to. Um, one of them I thoroughly enjoyed and I found quite funny. Um, so look forward to that one, people. Uh, T, 
typical thing then. Um, if you think anything about this podcast at all, do share it on social media. We are wrong kind of. We are at wrong kind of mad on Twitter, at wrong kind of mad on Instagram. We're the wrong kind of mad podcast on Facebook. We never look at the Facebook page. Waste of time. Um, you can email us at the wrong kind of mad at gmail.com. And if you like and subscribe to the podcast, um, that is really appreciate it rex has in, uh, agreed to come back uh, so yeah uh, you'll be able to hear from him uh, at another time um thank you all for coming along today and take care bye bye